What's up, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter, on another amazing episode of the Matt Baxter Show. We're hanging out with Allah Hunkins, who is just a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal leader, man, uh, entrepreneur, executive coach. I mean, he just covers such an amazing spread of ground, such an amazing uh, just just coverage of individual people. I have had the pleasure of getting to know him on a couple fronts. Um, I got to give a lot of love to Berta, who made the introduction. But this podcast is about uh, leadership. This podcast is about what it's like actually to dive in and lead people, what it's actually like uh, to dive in uh, and, and just listen is what it's like to actually dive in and sort of expand who you are as an individual while also helping drive the best out of other people as well, too. So I just had an absolute blast getting to know a lot. This podcast is so um, fun. It's insightful. I just tried to fire as many rapid questions as I can. And not only was it, you know, certainly every answer that he drives, um, you can tell that he's thoughtful. You can tell that uh, he's covered a lot of ground. You can tell that he's prepared to answer a lot of questions, but also um, thinking off the cusp. I tried my best to ask him questions that he might have not been asked before, or at least slightly different. And every single time he delivered something that I think is of value, some form of wisdom, some pearl that you can take and bring back to your life um, as a person, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as a business, um, man, woman, whoever you are. I, I just want to say that uh, uh, a lot. Thank you so much for being a guest in this episode. And thank you for the human being that you are. You are changing the world on a regular basis. And this podcast uh, was nothing shy of that as well, too. So thanks a ton. A lot. Thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thank you, Matt. I'm really excited for our conversation today. So walk me uh, walk me through. Where in the world are you recording from? Uh, we are recording from my home studio office in scenic Northampton, Massachusetts, which is in the western part of the state. It's the Pioneer Valley. The Connecticut River Valley runs through. It's a very scenic part of the world. It's a very classic New England, and it's also home to five colleges and universities. So it's sort of the college town of Massachusetts. I love that. I love that. Well, I'm excited to hear what brought you there. But uh, if you're totally okay with it, would love to hear your background, your story, just kind of what, what led you up to today? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I certainly did not wake up at the age of five saying, I want to be a leadership author, consultant, trainer, and coach when I didn't even think we knew what those things were when I was five years old. I'd say, though, the common denominator amongst my whole uh, looking back know, with a benefit of 2020 hindsight is that I have always been very interested in people. Like what makes people tick? You know, why do we do what we do? Why are some people motivated and other people not? And uh, so what I found was I kept gravitating towards areas where I could explore those interests. So when I was an undergrad, I dabbled a lot in psychology and theater and like Buddhist studies and just kind of studied a lot of different things. And then from there, moved on. Actually, when my all my classmates, we were graduating from college, you know, a number of them were like in their haircuts and putting on interview suits to, you know, basically apply for jobs at investment banks and art advertising. And at the time, I was so, so idealistic. I'm like, how can you be going and working in a business environment? Like, that's so corporate. You're selling your soul. <laughs> and, uh, and then I ended up staying involved in the theater for a while. I went to be a, an intern at the Milwaukee Repertory Theater as an actor for a year. And then I went to grad school to get a master's in fine arts from an acting conservatory where, you know, if you have ever studied acting, you really basically you're putting yourself under the microscope, learning how to break down human behavior and then put it back together again. And then I got involved with doing a lot of educational training and consulting through 
working with some arts and education companies in New York City and had some really great mentors along the way. And then as I was working, doing all this educational training, uh, I met a guy who said, you ever think about doing any work in corporations? I'm like, no, no, I never thought about that. Anyway, long story short, I ended up getting a job. This is 1997. I applied and got a job working for a, an external training company, working with a lot of the big Fortune 500 companies that used experiential education. So it was very active and dynamic and got to pull on my theatrical background. And that was back in 1997. So we're coming up on 25 years that I've been in the kind of business corporate space. And what I found was all great leaders had a lot of things in common and all lousy leaders had a lot of things in common. So I started really taking some notes and turning those notes into blog posts. And those blog posts turned into what ultimately became my book that was published by Wiley a couple of years ago called Cracking the Leadership Code. And really my focus has been about helping high-performing people become high-performing leaders. And that's really what's got me to here today. I love it. So let's go back to the early on uh, kind of act, adolescent uh, beginning of sort of your acting. Uh, you mentioned sort of some Buddhist studies. So, so early days, what did acting mean to you? And then uh, I guess, has that changed, evolved, or is it still pretty similar? It's interesting. So I think in early days, acting was a way for me to, is it much more ego-based, right? So this whole sense of like, I want to be seen. I want to get applause. I like performing. I like making other people happy. Um, now, I still like a lot of those things, but I think they are not the primary driving force in my life the way they were when I was certainly a teenager or even into my mid-20s. Um, so for me now, it's more of a question of how can, and I think this is true in acting, I think it's true for leaders as well, that the goal isn't about people going, gosh, you're amazing. It's more that they're going, wow, what we have accomplished is amazing. Or this story is amazing. Like if going back to like the theater, like that people are actually moved by the story that they have just witnessed and been a part of as an audience member. And I think as a leader of a team, like, what are you doing? So people go, oh my gosh, this is the best team in the world. I feel so lucky to be a part of this. So for me, I think the shifts from early in my life to now have been very much about kind of moving my ego out of the center, you know, this belief that I was the center of everything and everyone should know that to realizing, no, I'm not the center of everything, but I can definitely have an influence and an impact on the people around me. So uh, I don't mean to like overly esoteric relate these two things, but was there any combination of studying sort of Buddhist uh, uh, practices and combining with that? Because it seems kind of sounds similar conclusion to draw of what at least the, the very limited knowledge that I have sort of uh, Buddha, you know, some of the some of the Buddhist culture and some of the Buddhist understanding of things. But it's, it seems like those kind of went hand in hand with each other. Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. It's a really great question, Matt. I think this whole, you know, the Buddhists talk about this idea of no self, right? And I remember I one of the things that blew my mind in my intro to Buddhist scriptures class was we had the, the instructor, my professor, you know, she said, okay, I want you to imagine a car. I was like, okay, great. She's like, now take the rear view mirror off, okay, in your mind. Okay, now take a side view mirror off, right? And then take another side. Now she says, I take the steering, steering wheel off. It's like, at what point does that car stop becoming a car? It's like, mind, like, you know, 19-year-old mind, blown. Like, whoa, I like, and it's like talking about the idea of, you know, what constitutes your identity of yourself. And I think, yeah, it's totally connected to Buddhist scriptures. But beyond that, 
I think the whole journey of where you are the center of the world, that kind of egocentric to being less egocentric, it's also the journey of maturity, hopefully, you know, hopefully in the course of one's evolution in life, that these are lessons that are in some ways can be universal, that we all move from, hey, I am the most important thing and going on to, yeah, I'm a player in this larger cosmic play that is going on. So that's my take on it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, you know, I, it's, it's funny. Um, this is not a attempt at calling you out, but this is more a funny draw of conclusion, how you were talking about your friends during the early days, selling their soul and applying to corporate. And then years later, you now are in sort of the corporate environment, but in a very different way than probably what you balked at. So your vision of corporate early on uh, and how you thought friends were quote unquote selling their souls to now the world that you live in, in a, in a, in a uh, coaching, you know, leadership practice for corporations and obviously others, but how, how did the evolution begin and how did you kind of stop beginning to think that this is not all bad and not all bad guys are selling your soul sort of thing? Well, it's so interesting. Uh, that's a great question. And by the way, I've never been asked that question before. So I really <laughs> appreciate it. So, and it's funny because, you know, I know you and I talked before we went on air, you talked about kind of your lawn care business and growing up. And actually as a kid, I was rather entrepreneurial. So I actually started a bagel delivery service when I was 10 years old, where I would get like local, as I was living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, getting local bagels from the bagel shop along with cream cheese and lox and the New York Times and like going to the neighbors and having flyers. You know, it was, I was the original DoorDash before there was a DoorDash. <laughs> and, uh, Love and, that. I, and I enjoyed that whole thing. And I think what's so funny, you talk about like, so why did I think you're selling your soul? And a lot of it has to do with just taking on unconscious messages from our parents. Like, so my dad and my stepmom, my dad was a musician and she was an actress. And like, they were, they would say things like, oh, the man, the corporation is the man. And like, and you know, that, you know, it's corporations are evil. And, and I just sort of, swallow that hook, line, and sinker without thinking about a whole lot. And also I think, and this is not that unusual for people, you know, younger in life who are egocentric. Um, there's also this sense of anything that smacks of difference is bad or weird. It's like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get those, like those people those put on suits and like, and you start identifying, you know, this is the whole polarization that we have around labels. And for me, the transition was when I started working with people in organizations, guess what? They have interesting internal lives too. They have different challenges too. And, and so what I had to let go of was some of my own, honestly, my own prejudice and my own judgment around types of people. And so for me, that journey happened and is still happening, right? I think hopefully we're continuing that journey of staying open to there's a lot of different ways to do this thing that we call life. And so for me, the, the journey was very much kind of letting go and, and looking at those early messages and going, those don't belong to me, you know, and that's baggage I'm carrying around that I got from somebody else. In this case, it was my dad and my stepmom and going, you know what, that was their baggage and I'm giving it back and I'm going to live my own life with some new expectations and some new beliefs and hopefully have a lot better way of doing things moving forward. It, you know, it's, it's, it's funny you talk about the parent influence. So I had the opposite effect in the sense of your parents instilled into you why corporations are bad and the man and whatever, yada, yada. My, my parents come from a long line of uh, medical practitioners. So a lot of doctors, mm -hmm. yeah. a lot of nurses on both sides. And my opposite reaction was no way in hell do I have any interest to go down that career path. Yeah. <laughs> like this is, this is so ingrained. And, and, and so 
but it's but it's true it's and then all of a sudden you come back and you're like wow there's actually a lot of similarities that no i definitely could never be have become a doctor but now in my career now there's things where i'm like okay i can actually understand how i thought i thought totally different than so many people in my family because it's a lot of left brain 4.0 gpa students and i'm like that's just not me and then i'm like wait a minute life coming full circle now there's certainly some similarities so and and to your point you have to sort of not necessarily unlearn but sort of disown that what you're not brainwashed by, but instilled kind of early on, or it's not your own, it's somebody else's. And then you got to figure out what path is yours and it might be similar and, or it might be very different. So anyways, I like that perspective a lot. Sure. So, okay. Uh, when would you say was your first non-paid professional moment of leadership development? And then what was not necessarily, I don't know if you're allowed to share, not allowed to share, but when do you, when do you think you realized that you were like, okay, I'm ready to now do this as a profession? I would love to ask, like, when was your first professional paid time? But uh, more, more, when when do you feel like, okay, I want to make a career out of this? I guess is the better way that I want to ask that. Yeah, great questions again. So I'd say one of the early memories of unpaid work, of of an unpaid leadership development school of hard knocks learning, you know, tuition in the school of life. <laughs> moment was I was, vol and it's interesting because this actually leads to the answer to the second question, but we'll start with question number one first. Um, I was working, volunteering for a not-for-profit organization in New York City that actually focused on leadership development and training for actually for men. It was focused on a men's organization, basically helping men to become more emotionally intelligent and become uh, better at having missions of service to serve their families and their communities in the world at large. Great, great organization, still exists. And I was involved as a volunteer for about three years. And after I was there about three years, the executive director decided to step down. And the way that organization works is that new executive directors and kind of the, the main officers are chosen at their annual meeting by the entire membership of the not-for-profit. So I thought, great, you know, I've been here three years. I think I'm ready to be executive director. So I threw my hat in the ring, said, I'm going to do this. And so it turns out that I was the only person running for executive director until about six weeks before this other guy decided that he was going to run for it as well. And his name is Gary. And Gary, at the time, I was, I think, 26 years old. And uh, Gary uh, was quite a bit older than me, about 15 years older than me. And he had been a professional in the construction industry. And um, so I thought, there's no way Gary's going to win. Everyone, he's new. He's he only been around like six months in this whole organization. I said, he's new. Everyone's going to know that I'm the better candidate. So anyway, fast forward to election night. And so we show up and everyone gets to vote and the ballots are all counted. And then they announced that the final ballot total was 34 votes to six. And my first thought is, yes, I crushed him. And then very quickly, I realized that they had said, no, Gary got 34 votes and I got six. What? I was completely floored. Like, how the heck in the world did that just happen? And I was talk about like embarrassment. I, I couldn't believe it. And in fact, I didn't reach out to Gary for like a month because I was so upset about all this. And then we finally met up for lunch. And I said, so Gary, um, you know, did you really think you were going to win? Like kind of somewhat offhandedly joking, like, you think you're going to get all those votes? And he said, of course I knew I was going to get those votes. What do you mean? And he said, yeah, well, when I decided to run for executive director, I realized I needed to 
build some relationships with people. So I started reaching out to people and meeting up with them for coffee or lunch and getting to know them as people and then asking them about their lives and why they were involved in the organization and what they were hoping the future would bring to it and, and what they, you know, what they would do if they were executive director. And then I shared with them this vision that I really wanted this whole team of people to get involved and would they show up on the election night and vote for me? And as he's saying all this, it all made complete sense. And my brain kind of exploded in my head. Like, I cannot believe what he's just described to me because I thought leadership was kind of based. And this is, a, again, I think a somewhat childish notion. Like if you've been in school, you know, in school, you are rewarded for your merit and good work speaks for itself. It isn't about how do you build relationships and have a network and who else thinks you're good because that's, you don't need that. It's, you know, I was very idealistic. And so what Gary showed me was in fact, what I ended up writing about is kind of the three secrets to building strong leaders, which is first he starts with connection, right? So connection is where it's at because all of leadership is a relationship between human beings. So he's got connection and the next one is around communication. And then the third was around collaboration. And so that's really kind of where I learned, gosh, like leadership is this, it's work and there's a skill and a science to it and there's an art to it. And if I want to get better at this, I better figure it out. So anyways, that, does that answer your first question there? It, it, <laughs> the it does. No, no, I, I love the story and I, I want to compliment you on the fact that it, uh, the question was, when do you feel like you delivered uh, leadership? I, I think in some, some sort of dummy down version of it. And I love that your response was a learning lesson, not a, hi, I came in and taught somebody this. And so I think that's actually a true form of leadership. So not that you necessarily intended to do that, but I really respect the way you handled, you know, I, I respect that answer. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. Well, I mean, to me, I think leaders are constantly learning, right? And so for me, that was this big aha. You, you, maybe I went to that place when you said like unpaid, like before you got at this, good at this, you know, like for me, that was definitely this moment of, you know, I learned from a big failure. Which, I mean, if you can't find a way to do that, you're not really equipped to be a leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it certainly answers the first question. Second question was, um, when do you feel like you sort of looked at yourself in, your, in the mirror and was like, all right, I'm ready to I'm ready to now professionally do this. Or I'm ready to, you know, now now I've now now I feel like I'm, I'm providing value or whatever, whatever kind of spin on it you want. Yeah, no, for sure. So I had mentioned, you know, in 1997, I started working with this training company and, you know, and I was working for them as a facilitator and taking their content and basically delivering it. And I know I would always tweak their content, but I remember at one point, about five years in, we ended up working with a, a pretty massive Fortune 100 energy company. And uh, we were doing this conference for about 2000 people. And I was the main, and I'd never spoken to a group that size before. I'd done like maybe 800, 900, it was like 2000 people. And I was very customized and I was the one who did all the customized changing of the language and making this all work. And long story short is like, I hit it out of the park. They were so thrilled. And like the CEO of the company came over to me and it's like, wow, I don't know how you do what you do, but like a number of people came over and it was sort of getting the affirmation of, yeah, I, I know there was a process to this whole thing and I know what that process is and I I'm competent about it and I know how to deliver this. And I think it was at that moment that I went, yeah, this is something that I'm going to, I know that there are bigger seas for me to swim in than just delivering somebody else's content. And that was a beginning of me setting myself on the path to starting my own business and consultancy and writing a book and getting out there more as a thought leader. 
what is uh what is leadership and what is leadership not mm, great thing what is leadership i'm gonna start with what it's not um leadership is not a position it is not a title it is not authority it is not because i said so um and if you think that's a version of leadership you're about 50 60 70 years behind the times um that's what leadership is not what leadership is ultimately it is about the ability to get people to get things done okay and sometimes the person that could be you leading yourself in fact oftentimes it's you leading yourself but ultimately it's about influence plain and simple it's like do you have the ability to influence other people to want to come along and get this stuff done and notice i said want to because you know we live in a world that is so opt in and opt out these days is that people can choose do they want to stay engaged or not and to say well because i'm your boss that's why i mean that's a pretty that's kind of a variation of like if you're a parent like because i'm your parent that's why like that doesn't work for teenagers it doesn't work for grown-ups so for me leadership ultimately is the performing art and i say performing because i think it's about what you say and what you do and so how you model it and your behavior what is it that you're doing to help people to come along on that journey with you. And again, easier to talk about than to do. I, uh, I think that's, uh, I love that answer. Um, there's a lot of different directions that I think we could, we could certainly go with this. Um, when you walk into, and I, and I guess I'll, I'll let you paint the picture of like, right down the fairway, a client you come in and work with and that you come in and, um, you know, I, I, I guess I'll put it typical, a typical client that you would end up working with. Do you walk in with a sort of formula or some sort of guiding principles? And I think you kind of alluded to this a little bit to begin with, or are you sort of more in uh, soaking like a sponge and then kind of think through and process sort of the best path that you think whether the leader of the company should go how, how do you sort of what's the first kind of entry into working with new clients or at least your thought process behind it sure great question again another really good question here um so for me it's a both and so do i come in with some ideas yeah i mean because basically i've been asked something um do i come up with some ideas? however i think ultimately the place to come in and work with clients you have to come from this place of curiosity. And I ask a ton, a ton of questions. I'm constantly asking questions and drilling down. I start with big, broad, opening questions like, what's the biggest challenge you and your organization or you and your team is facing? And then I drill down. I try to get people talking and try to affirm that what they're saying is interesting and people are curious and want to hear the nitty gritty details. And because what I don't want to do is come in with like, here's my solution. You know, ultimately a solution will emerge, but it's got to emerge from where they're at. And again, I've been doing this work for 25 years. So like my proverbial bag of tricks is way bigger and broader than whatever the presenting need is going to be. I'm not going to like, here's everything I can do. I mean, I'm not, that doesn't make any sense. So what I want to do is really understand what their needs are and potentially what they're saying the need is, is actually just what they're saying and that the actual need is something deeper and lower. Um, so trying to figure out what that is. Sometimes it says, Hey, I hear you're saying this. Could I talk to some other people in the organization too? So I'm like a detective. I go around sleuthing out what is really going on. And then once I have a sense of what I think is really going on, then I start to match that with 
what are some potential solutions? And then I also have to talk with the client because I have to get their, their buy-in and their partnership with what might a solution look like? Because some people are really clear, like, hey, you know what? We want you to come in and talk to our group for an hour. And so part of my role is, look, I can do that and it'll be great and inspiring and motivating. And I'll get a couple of tools. And in an hour keynote, I am not going to change people's lives forever. I mean, it's like there's only so much you can do. So part of I see my role is starting to create some realistic expectations in the mind of the client or saying like, hey, you know, we want to like they say, hey, people have been going you know, this happens more often than not, right? So like we have this conference, we want you to come in and do this thing. Like, that's great. But do you realize people will have been sitting for six hours before we do this? Do you realize what the brain space where they're going to be? How receptive will they be? So it's just so a lot of my work is basically partnering with clients to help them to understand what is it they really want, and then how I can work with them to create those solutions. Hypothetically, let's say you were start you were speaking to a uh, you know startup founder who's got I don't know somewhere between ten and fifteen employees and trying to figure out this quote unquote thing called leadership. What would you say is the first step he or she in this hypothetical scenario should take? Great question. So I think that in terms of they're trying to figure out leadership. So uh, if you have you heard of the expression, um, it's called the um, let me let me try. We'll pause this. We'll take out this little little bit because I'm thinking. The term no, you're is. good. No worries. Yeah, no. Um, it is called the fundamental attribution error, right? It's just a little. Have you heard of this term? So basically, it's a fancy way of saying that we judge ourselves by our own intentions, but we judge other people by their actions. And mm. if you if you've ever like you know found yourself wanting to curse at some other driver on the road because they were driving poorly. You know, that's what, you know, you do that. But when you're driving in a rush, you're like, well, I'm in a rush. You don't understand. I have things, I've got places to go, right? You're judging yourself because I'm a good person. So I say that all because for leaders, you know, we think, hey, I'm doing a good job. You don't know how you're doing because ultimately when it comes to leadership effectiveness, it's all in the eye of the beholder. So in this case, a startup, this leader's got 10 to 15 people. What I'd want to do, and I'd, I'd coach leader around this, but in some ways, want to create an environment where people feel safe to give their honest feedback about how is that leader doing. And then we actually have some data to work with. So, like, so we get, you know, whether that's quantitative or qualitative, we want to get some data to go, this is where you're strong. These are some areas to improve. Let's talk about this and let's look at the impact of these things and start from there. So I'd start with a snapshot because any, you know, it's the old expression, if you want to know where you're going, you should know where you are first. So kind of start off with a snapshot of current state of where you are. I like that a lot. Um, you know, it's, I, 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 the perspective thing is fascinating. I've never, I, it makes sense. I've never heard that particular phrase, but you know, you so oftentimes, and, and not that there's like, the one percenters of people, but there are certainly the vast majority of people who view the world as, um, I'm pissed off. You did, you wronged me. But then when I did it to you, well, you just didn't understand the circumstance I was in. This had to happen or whatever it may be. Like so many people truly view the world that way. And I not necessarily saying that they're bad or worse, but there's certainly a, a different demographic or class or whatever of people. And again, I'm not trying to make any hierarchy, but people who are capable in an effective way, not to a fault, but in an effective way seeing, hey, I understand that you were coming at that from a different perspective or something happened to you or I'm, I'm, 
I might be annoyed right away, but when you explain it like that, okay, fine, I get it. Sure, I think there's yeah. something called empathy out there, but yeah. I think there's a little difference between those two things. But no, I, 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 I like that. I'll, I'll remember that phrase. That's well, all. here, here's the thing about it, Matt. I mean, as you bring this up, what it makes me think about it is the fact that, like, humans in general, we're wired for negativity. We have this of negativity, course. right? So we all know we've we've heard the stories about how that served our ancestors well on the savannas, right? We all know that. But you know, the challenge with the negativity bias is unless you actively work to work against it is that you end up going around and assuming negative intent of people. I'll give you an example that just came up yesterday for me. So um, someone that I've worked with, it's a former client, has their company is having a big uh, 100-year anniversary um, coming up. And so she's sent out numerous uh, things. She sent out numerous invitations. And the invitations say, you know, RSVP by May the 5th. And I had sent her something else, uh, this is something else that I, I needed to send her. And she came back and said, hey, um, I've sent out four of these invites. Are you coming? And I went, hold on. Like, and I thought, well, it, there was a certain kind of level of negativity and accusation in her tone in the email, <laughs> right? As opposed to, hey, like she could have said the exact same thing. as like, hey, hope you're well, just checking in. Um, I'm trying to sort this out. I know the deadline or whatever, right? But it just takes that little extra effort of assuming positive intent. And so I got back to her and said, you know what? Actually, I haven't gotten back to you yet because my schedule is still in flux and I didn't want to say yes if it's a no and the RSVP deadline isn't until a couple of weeks from now. So you know what I mean? So it's just that difference in assuming positive intent, you know, as and my mother used to tell me stuff and I'm sure you've heard expressions like this soon, like you get a lot more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Right. And so, you know, you want to be, a, again, as a leader, you want to be the type of person that people want to be around. I'm sure you've heard the expression that, you know, people will buy more from people they know, they like, they trust. Well, people will engage and follow with people more that they know, they like, and trust as well. Because, you know, in some ways, as a leader, you're in sales, you are selling a vision and you want people to come along on that ride with you and work towards achieving that vision. And so if you're going to be that salesperson, then you've got to be someone that people know, like, and trust. And assuming positive intent is a great way to do that. I uh, I, I, I really, really, really thoroughly enjoy that. And I, I never really knew that I did this. And then I kind of found out that this was a sales tactic. But one of my favorite things to do, and this is kind of unintentional, but I'm remarkably self-deprecating. Not because like I, I'm not, a, like I'm, you know, short and chubby and I'm totally perfectly comfortable in my own skin. Most people that I... Most people that I know are like, you're confident enough that I don't even realize how short you are. Again, I don't I, like, it is not something that I feel like is attacking myself when I do it. It's just, and I know it's entertaining the whole thing, but I very intentionally meeting people on sales pitches and in the sort of early on speaking that I've done, I very much certainly try with humor, certainly sometimes self-deprecation just because it's easy. But I've realized when you put, when you touch something like that off and it works, I'm not saying it always does, but when it does you sort of instantly get somebody into the I'm less negative I'm less upset I'm less frustrated I'm less viewing the world from a negative place because I think so many interactions are starting so negative and that's why I think that works so well is when you open the door and again I'm not the only person in the world to do this but when you sort of open the door some form of humor or self-deprecation or something it seems to put the conversation on a different trajectory versus what more often than not so many people start with is just whatever the negativeness is on their mind. And I don't blame them. There's a lot of negativity out there, but I, I I don't know. I found that to be remarkably uh, beneficial in my own life to sort of start 
life just with a little bit more joy than anything else. Well, you bring up such a good point, and I think it's a great leadership lesson, Matt, in that if many people are in the doldrums of negativity so much of the time, if you can be a little bright spot in that, it just makes them go, ah, oh, like this is so much better. You know, just a little bit of kindness and a little bit of sunshine can go a long way for people who are just feeling that way. And and it sounds like you have honed that, you know, maybe it's just through trial and error. You've learned that this is something that works. And so if it works, you keep working it. Well, and you also get this too. Uh, very few people genuinely ask questions uh, and genuinely are curious about things. Like, and I, and I say it that way, neg sounds negative. I think there are a lot of people who don't care to ask questions. I think there are a good amount of people who like asking questions, but more often than not, they like asking questions so that it could be asked back of them. And then I think the if you're genuinely curious about somebody, they like you so much more. And it's something I learned, quite frankly, is a business benefit to the, having this podcast is, you know, yes, now, now that I'm a couple hundred episodes in, there's a decent viewership and that's all great. But more importantly, like, I think when you ask somebody, say, I just want to sit and ask you questions and learn about you and learn from you and, um, and, and genuinely curious and not trying to make this whole thing about me. Although as I'm saying that I'm literally making this about me. So, but, but, <laughs> but, but there's something to be said about if you can genuinely be interested in somebody else for the most part by nature, they're going to like you so much better. And I don't know why that is. Maybe just because people like, yeah, I, I, I know exactly why it is. It's, people genuinely enjoy somebody who's interested in them as, as we all do. But I've just found that also equally to be such a, which I can see why you're so successful in, in, in your, in your various different practices, because you get the opportunity to come in and just ask people questions and people love that. Even if it's tough stuff, people love it. So anyways, full, full, full roundabout way of saying, I, I, yeah, I get it. Yeah. That makes total sense. Total sense. So with where you're headed, what would you say if you had a choice to, you got to pick the legacy that you left on the world, what would you want that legacy to be? You got some good questions here going on, Matt. Um, you know, for me, it's actually quite simple um, in that I have a very, I've done some work around what is my mission in the world. And my mission and my legacy are very similar. And so my mission is I want to create a vibrant and alive world by kindling the fire of brilliance in people. And so what would my legacy be is that I want to have left behind people who are living that much more vibrantly and alive and passionately and doing things that are of import to themselves and to their communities and to the planet and giving them tools to be able to do that so that they can become better connectors, better communicators, better collaborators, and ultimately better leaders. Because look, some people tend to think of leadership as this thing you only do in certain pockets. But if you step back and look at every single day of your life as a blank canvas, that every single day you wake up with this gorgeous blank canvas, and that you have this palette of paints of, you know, every day, how am I showing up and connecting with anyone, with everyone that I meet, you know, whether it's the person who's you know, serving me coffee at Starbucks, if that's your thing, or your coworkers or your family, right? How am I communicating? How am I making sure that we're creating common understanding? And then how am I collaborating? How am I creating environments where myself and others that we can all be performing at our best and that it's sustainable, we treat people like human beings. And so if I can help people to 
improve their skills and get more tools at being better at those three connecting, communicating, and collaborating, that will, that will feel like a life very well lived. I love that. And my, my follow-up, which is my favorite question on the planet is what gets you out of bed in the morning? That mission, frankly, isn't that like, that is like, Oh, like in everything that I do, even including like, and I'm sure you do this too. It's like, Oh, I get to follow up with people, you know, that are on my CRM who haven't gotten back to me. Let me follow up. Like, I'm getting to live my mission because what I'm trying to do is find ways to create a vibrant and alive world. And that's all part of it. Now, is that the, the fun, glamorous part or like, you know, talking to my accountant about my taxes? I'd rather do other things, but <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a part of the whole bigger picture and it's, it's a necessary thing. So for me, it's my mission. That mission of creating a vibrant and alive world and killing, to kindle the fire of brilliance in people is what gets me out of bed in the morning. A lot. So people that want to follow along with what you got going on, reach out to you, hear more about uh, your business. What is the best way for them to either get in touch, learn more, understand more, get to know you? Yeah, for sure. A couple different ways. Well, first of all, if you're interested in more leadership content, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I've got like 110,000 followers there. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, also connect with me. Since you've listened this far, you're part of the end of the podcast club. So it's Alain, A-L-A-I-N, at, and this is my website, address alainhunkins.com a-l-a-i-n-h-u-n-k-i-n-s.com go to the website there's a bunch of resources you can download the first chapter of my book cracking the leadership code there's a newsletter you can sign up where i send out uh, curated leadership content every month lots of things all related to helping people become better leaders and so yeah feel free to do reach out because might not you know that if you reach out to me it gives me a chance to live my mission i love that well thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast and it's been a blast thank you so much Thank you, Matt. It's been my pleasure. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye. <music>